And we are back with The Chosen Journey, Big Money Grip, Steve Carsey, and we're going to talk about Steve's favorite topics today. One of them is closers and saves. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, good to be back with you. Uh, looking forward to the episode to talk about uh, finishing games here. So we really have a debate over the last few years in baseball with the hold coming into play. You know, it just uh, not really be a stat or one that we really cared about much. And, you know, it was always about the saves. That's it. You know, top relief pitcher, how many saves you got. Don't talk to me about anything else, you know. It's the same thing, you know, back in the archaic days when people used to win Cy Youngs because of the amount of games they won, you know. You had 22 wins, another guy had 15, you had a four-year array, and he had a 3.2-year array, and yet you had the most amount of wins. Now, I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit, but that's certainly how it seemed. It seems baseball has gotten a little smarter about it, but there's still something about that closer, something sexy about having that person that you know you're going to bring in a ninth, they're going to get three strikeouts, get the save, lock it down. True or false? It's true. Uh, I agree with that. I think it's a comfort level for a manager to have a certain individual that he can trust and count on coming in at the end of the game. I mean, obviously, you talk about your Trevor Hoffman, your Mariano Rivera's, your Goose Gossages, uh, you know, Kenley Jansen, Kimbrell when he was uh, Kimbrell. Uh, just guys like that, and that you know that it's it's locked down. Uh, you got your new age closers like Classe now, uh, and and some of these guys hater obviously. Um, you know those guys go through bad stretches, right? And have have a couple, you know, sh- stretches of a week or two where they might not throw the ball great for whatever reason. But at the end of the day, over 162, when you can count on a guy 40 times to get you 40 wins or close out the game 40 times, you're in a good spot. So I have this generalization of how I see closers over the course, at least of my life, since I've been watching and covering baseball. And to me, a closer for the longest time was a failed starter. That's how you became a closer de facto. It's like, what do you call a failed rock star, a country singer? You know, that's just what you gravitate to. And for people that don't believe me in that, go Google on YouTube, Mariona Rivera starting pitcher. And go watch Rivera... As you all know, greatest closer of all time. I don't think any of us will argue that. But the man was a starting pitcher when it all came to it. He had a head of hair, actually. So it's quite funny to watch a young Rivera. And then they said, Mariano, you know what? Let's uh, lose the hair. Let's lose all the pitches except for one. You're going to be a one-pitcher guy, and that's all you need. And you're going to be closing. Um, Trevor Hoffman was a shortstop, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Got picked up at the expansion draft, got traded, and became the second best closer of all time. The guy who I always saw the evolution changing the mindset was Chad Cordero. That was a groomed closer in college and then transferred it to the majors. Looking at this day and age and you having coached in the minors and having coached in the majors, where do closers come from now? Is it a combination of failed starters and becoming uh, relievers? Or are they more groomed now in college? What's the pipeline, Steve? Uh, In in my opinion, the pipeline is stuff. Uh, You know, what kind of stuff does a guy have? Does he throw hard? Does he have a wipeout off-speed pitch like a Devin Williams with his changeup? Or, you know, uh, a slider uh, that a a closer might have that's really untouchable? So it becomes stuff. Like as a starter, you 
the the tendency is to think that you need three pitches to compete, uh, you know, maybe 20 years ago because they let starters go a lot longer. Now, maybe guys don't need three pitches because they're only going five or six innings. So you can get through the lineup twice with two pitches, but that's another conversation for another day. But on this, on the reliever side of it, you find a guy that who has stuff and then you take the mental side of it of guys who can handle that pressure pack situations, walking into the ninth inning, knowing that there's not anybody behind him to save his tail. If he gets in a jam and, uh, just as mentally tough when it comes down to it. And this list, like if we had sat at the beginning of the year, you and I, and we mapped out the top 10 saves closers in baseball, and we did it at the beginning of the year, and then we looked at the list today, I don't think we would have come even close to matching that top 10. Yeah, it would have been tough. You know, I mean, there's so many guys that are, you know, uh, rolled in and rolled out, and there's a circular thing that goes on when a guy's pitching well in on a team. That manager is going to probably use that guy a little bit better, and then he'll fall out of favor. And it's a really a tough way to live uh, when you're rotating guys at the back end and 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 not having uh, a constant uh, come in in the ninth inning. Those fantasy baseball players out there that absolutely adore that sport. You are made or break usually with the closers. And I remember there was a game and it was actually the Royals were in Toronto out of all places. I was watching it on TV and they bring this guy, Joaquin Soria. And I know that the Royals uh, closer at the time wasn't pitching very well. And he's blown everybody away. He gets one strikeout, two strikeout. And you have your finger on the add button. And you're just ready to drop one guy and add him. Like, you get to save. I'm taking him right now. The second that pitch left his his hand, it hit the catcher's mitt. I pressed add. I beat a guy by three seconds. Soria won me the championship that year. And, man, he went on to have a great career. But, you know, for every walking Soria, there's a guy who comes in, can have one or two great outings, and then never heard from again. This list today, when we look at 2022 and how we finished off, and we'll look at a few of them and their stories, whether we expected them to start the year, not. Do we think they're going to be on the list? It's quite an interesting tale for each. And some of their stories blew me away. So without further ado, and I have the advantage of having the list in front of me, but Steve has a photographic memory. So we'll see how good Steve is. Uh, number one on the list, top saves for the year was? Josh Hader. Uh. Emmanuel Classe ended up finishing with 42. Mm. And the list will just get worse and worse, Steve, as we go along. So Classe, I mean, watching him out there, looking at his numbers overall, you know, 9.5 Ks per nine. So he's not Edwin Diaz is 17.1, but 0.73 whip and 1.36 ERA. I think any team will take this guy as their closer hands down right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I was in shock uh, just knowing of him when Texas traded him for Corey Kluver uh, to the Indians. I think the Indians did their homework and they got a real steal in in that. Now, you know, Kluver is a is a master and he's a quality starter, but he was at the end of his career. He had some injuries. Uh, you know, he's got a couple of Cy Youngs under his belt, right? But uh, at the end of the day, when you're trading a, a guy who has an arm like Class A uh, to be on the back end for, for Corey Kluber, which you don't know you're gonna, what you're going to get. And I think after that trade, I think 
the Rangers had him for one year and he only pitched, I think, 16 or 17 innings for that one year. And then he went on and moved on to to a different team. So uh, kudos to the uh, Cleveland Indians for making that trade and, uh, you know, finding their closer for the future. He is so good. But that being said, when John Rocker first came up with the Braves, he was so good. So without saying we're going Rocker style here, but all it takes is one off-field incident. All it could take is one arm injury, and you just never know. But man, Cleveland and the Guardians and the fans have to be thrilled with him. He's everything you possibly want in a closer. Number one, I'll give it to him. And he got the most amount of saves, maybe not the best numbers, depending on what your measure of numbers are. Mm -hmm. But he was just that consistent in every in every category. He's not necessarily the top guy otherwise, but he's close. You know, not... Not a lot of blown saves with four. Not the highest K per nine, but he's still paying one per inning. Low batting average against. I'm good with him. The guy number two on the list gives me heart palpitations. He is one headache to another. The teams say they love him, are very happy with him. Uh, both of his current team and former team just got bounced, Mr. Kenley Jansen. And he was an outfielder, if I'm not mistaken, originally. I'm, I I'm, thought he was a uh I thought he was a catcher. Maybe it was a catcher. I know he was a hitter for sure. I'm trying to picture him Carl Delgado-ish behind the plate there, but he was not originally even a pitcher and he had the stuff. And you look at the final numbers, Steve. I mean, 3.38 ERA, which seems high, but it's very good for a pitcher overall, but not for a closer when they're in the ones. Finished with 41 saves, blue 7, so he's high up on that list. Uh still king 12 per 9. Uh 1.05 whip. Why do I hate this guy so much? Why do I not want him on my team? And But teams are still lining up to grab him. So what is about Kenley Jensen that is so great but so frustrating? Probably just the track record, right? I mean, you know what you're going to get with Kenley Jensen. He's, uh, he's getting a little bit older, um, you know, but uh, you got experience. you got a guy who has a, a slow heartbeat. you got a guy who can handle the pressure, and you got you, you got a guy who – knows what he wants to do on the mound and knows who he is. So when you have those, uh, when you have those qualities in a guy and you, you have an idea of what you're going to get when the guy, when the bullpen door opens up and he walks out of the mound, uh, it's a comforting feeling for a manager. Well, he's, he's come back and uh, you know, I think the Dodgers could have used them after uh, Kimbrell getting bounced out and uh, Kimbrell still was up there at the end of the day, but not the numbers overall. And uh you know, Class A is on that Braves team. Maybe it's a different story. Uh, a guy, number three, that the Jays and the A's would love to do a redo on. On the White Sox. Mr. Liam, oh, Liam that's Hendricks. That's right. That's right. The pride of okay. Australia. He's like seven foot five, and he finished with 37 saves, 2.81 ERA, and 13.3 K per nine, 1.04 whip. You know, it was, it was when they acquired Kimbrell at the time, there was talk who's going to be the closer. You know what? Something about Liam, I don't know. He loves maybe the uh, thick pizza in Chicago. But since he got there, he's just steady. He's just very steady. And they're very happy with him, as they should be. Yeah, absolutely. Again, when the when the doors open in the ninth inning and Liam Hendricks takes the mound, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy who understands the situation. Uh, you're going to get a guy 13.5 strikeouts per nine. You can get your strikeout when needed, uh, and 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 the consistency has been there year after year. So again, comfort level for a manager, 
those are the guys you want pitching for you in the ninth inning. Another failed starter, guy bounced around, seen as a journeyman, maybe a middle reliever, and here he is now a top closer. And Kenley Jansen, a former catcher, apparently. Uh, number four, Jordan Romano. The Jays also looking for a closer, looking under every, you know, looked under the CN Tower, seeing if they could find one. And here's underneath their nose the whole time, another guy who they thought was going to be a starter. And you know what? At the end of the year, I think they're very happy with him. I think they got to be, if they can get these numbers year after year with him, I think they're taking it in a second. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you, you've got to see him obviously a lot more than, than I have. Uh, I didn't get to see him much, but the stuff is there, right? I mean, he's a quality reliever with stuff and, uh, you know, is, is a competitor from what I've seen when I've watched them pitch and, you know, he attacks his own and he goes after guys. And at the end of the day, if, Again, if you get a guy who can, you know, you put on the mound in the ninth inning and you're very comfortable with that, that's your guy. And uh, you live and die with what he's going to do on that particular day. And looking at these numbers, Steve, like, I don't know how much the analytics goes into it from a coaching or owner perspective, but Liam blows four saves, Romano six. We, You know, some guys only blew three. An extra game or two over 162, is that really substantial when you look at the overall body of work, when you look at their numbers, their Ks, how many hits they're giving up? You know, How much are we relying on blown saves as a category? Well, I think it depends on a lot of factors. I think when the, when is the blown save a blown save? Is it you know in a key game at the end of the season or is it a game in the beginning of the year where maybe he's – just not on early and trying to still settle in and find himself. I mean, it's, it's, I think where you worry more is where you have uh, the inconsistency of, uh, of the saves is if you blow three or four in a row and then you reel off five in a row and then you blow two in a row. So I think that's where the worrisome part comes in. But if you're consistent and, you're blowing one for every 10 saves. I, I think any manager would take that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot different situation when you're coming into the ninth, zero outs, clean inning versus coming in with one out and bases loaded on a consistent basis. Like the odds are really stacked against you at that point, And you're almost a no man's land. How much that gets factored in? I think it gets factored in quite a bit. I mean, inherited runners becomes a, a factor with closers or relievers in general, um, you know, and then I think we talked about this many times before, whether it's been on camera, off camera is, uh, you know, does that guy come in with a, a one run lead in the ninth inning, or is he coming in with a three run lead all the time in the ninth inning? There's a big difference pitching with a one run lead and getting three outs than there is with a three run lead and have to be getting three outs. So, um, you know, I think that that would be, something that teams track and, and have an understanding of uh, with the guy that they are going to trust in the ninth inning and a guy that they're going to give a multi-year uh, dollar value to. Guy at number five, who I have a very hard time assessing, and I had to take three takes. We've talked about this one off camera for sure uh, during the year, and I had to double check. Is there another guy with his name that I'm not aware of? This can't be the same guy, but it is. On Colorado, Daniel Bard. Like, we have written him off long ago. Has this guy found the fountain of youth? Like, what the heck is going on? And, he, and he's in Colorado, and he's got some of the best numbers we've ever seen from a Colorado closer. What is up with Bard? Yeah, like, 
Uh, that one, as solid as it is, right? Not taking anything away from what he has done, but there's no pressure in Colorado. You go out and you pitch, you blow a save, okay. You don't blow a save, you get the win. It doesn't really become national lose. It doesn't become uh, one of those things where, um, you know, they're they're always in the hunt. It's They're a team that is a good team some years, some teams not so good. And, you know, it just doesn't get the fanfare whether you blow a save in Colorado or if you're reeling them off. I mean, people will notice as you're pitching well and doing what he has done. And it's a great story. And kudos to him for, you know, being able to come back and, and do what he's done. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you put Daniel Bard in New York or L.A., is he the same guy? Boston. I can't answer that. Or Boston. I can't answer that. I don't know that answer until he has been there, done that. Uh, there's some guys who can do it, and there's some guys can't. There's some guys are more comfortable pitching in Colorado in, in those type of situations as a save, as opposed to, you know, national TV, high leverage situations. Uh, and I don't know Daniel at all. Um, he might be very good in, in those situations. Um, but He's never had an opportunity to do that, and we will we will never know. What I'll say this much about Daniel Bard, not knowing him as well, is you got a physical component and you got a mental component. I know through the media he's faced both, and the man has obviously worked his butt off to get back to where he is because he got ridden off long ago, and he had to have done something right. And imagine the whole year he blew three saves. That's it. So yeah, yeah. Kudos, kudos to him. Uh, another guy that I had to do a check on because, you know, the Astros stream rolling along and you're thinking to yourselves, you know, they don't have Daz, Diaz, they don't have Class A. Uh, it's not Elvis Presley, but it's Ryan mm. Presley. Another guy that you just don't assume as a quote-unquote closer. Who the heck is this guy? Some middle reliever, but you know what? He's got an ERA of almost three, but he only blew four saves all year for them. 12.1K per nine. I think just he's quietly been a steady rock back there and good for them to uncover him and give him the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, the Houston Astros do a really good job of filtering guys in like Presley, uh, you know, starting him in the middle relief to set up roll and then filter him back to the back end of the bullpen, knowing that uh, once he's pitched in middle relief, that he's able and capable of doing that. Uh, Wipeout breaking ball, uh, like we talked about, uh, when you have that um, and you have stuff, uh, you're going to be more successful than not. Really good fastball, can locate. So uh, it seems like, uh, you know, seems like a mentally tough guy and, um, and just has been healthy. So for him to step in and, and do that and for the Astros to trust him during these really good years and, and these runs that they've had is uh, is impressive. And not the worst thing in the world to not have the sexiest name closers out there. They get all the notoriety and walkout music and all that. They're just a bunch of hardworking relievers, bring their lunch pails and quietly just get the results. And that there's value in that. The last big name on the list was the aforementioned Edwin Diaz. And the one mm. number that sticks out with him, 17.1 K per night. Are you joking me? Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, wow. just it's, God, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you you look at, you know, how we performed the year before, the year before that, and then what adjustments he made in the offseason to come out and, and have the year like like he had this year. Uh, he's been phenomenal. 
And and he's a guy I would have to go look it up, but he's a guy who's getting four out saves, five out saves. He's pitched two innings multiple times. Um, you know, so if he can keep that consistency, uh, and he's a free agent this year, so teams are going to have to do their homework on him and see what value he brings dollar wise, if they can do that for their payroll and is he going to have the type of years, you know, he had this year, um, you know, during a contract that uh, he will get. He was in his younger years on the Mariners. He was the class A at the time, just so we all understand that the Mariners trading DS, the Mets would be the same thing as the guardians trading class A at this point. That's, how good Diaz was. The only reason he got traded was they attached that horrible Cano contract, which the Mets agreed to accept. So they're saying we're getting the top closer in baseball, no question about it. And then there was a, something just did not click there for whatever reason. Maybe he all of a sudden just, you know, had to go to a couple of pubs maybe or enjoyed the pizza at night too much. I don't know, but it was an adjustment for him. But they are absolutely loving him out there. And he's clearly taken to New York and you know, built up a great rapport there. He wasn't the quote-unquote top uh, closer in baseball saves-wise, but overall numbers-wise, this man is just scary. 1.301 ERA. Like, you're not hitting him. That's it. Like, watching his stuff, Steve, it's almost like you got to start your swing the second he releases the ball. Like, that's how hard he throws. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's a real minimal time that a hitter gets to decide whether he wants to swing or not. And guys who throw harder and have the type of stuff that that he has it just becomes a lot harder for for the hitter to be in the box but it's a perfect example of going from uh, a place like seattle where not a lot of people watch you to a place like new york and having to get comfortable because you're on center stage all the time uh playing on the east coast and playing in a big market so maybe that was it i don't know but at the end of the day he's turned himself into one of the best closers in baseball and is now a free agent and we'll see what uh transpires with some of these teams who need a back-end closer and we got a few guys on the list which we we won't really touch upon but a guy's that got 20 uh in the save category had kept their their whips around whip around uh, one so they they did all right for themselves seawald on mariners for example scott on the marlins the next guy on the list though it's funny as we're finishing this topic off because we're not going to talk about all the closers in baseball the one that kind of stuck out to me is like those kind of iffy closers was Soto on the Tigers. So you got Gregory Soto, and he finished with 32 saves, which is impressive in its own right, you know. But uh, sorry, uh, 30 saves on uh, on that team. But then you look at the rest of the numbers: two and eleven record, three point two eight ERA, and a one point three eight WHIP. I don't think that's exciting anybody at that point. But on a rebuilding team, I think it's just good enough. Well, you got stuff, right? He's a left-hander, throws super hard. Sometimes the product of that is the product of your team, right? I mean, uh, you know, I don't know how many of those unearned runs and some of the blown saves and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, it, it's it's one of those things where sometimes you get a guy like him out and put him in a different situation. He blossoms a little bit more. Um, you know, the one guy you didn't touch on that I think uh, is flying under the radar that should probably be a little bit more noticed and probably will be the closer in Atlanta if uh, Kenley Jansen doesn't come back is Iglesias, who was with uh, 
he was with the uh, Angels, and then Angels were able to trade him to Atlanta. So Atlanta made a really nice move with that contract. Uh, they still have him under control for three years, and if they don't bring Kenley back, then this guy's going to step right in and, and, and do really well. Um, simply because he didn't get the numbers as a, a quote-unquote closer, we're talking about the top closers, but I just actually read a couple articles on that, and I was thinking about it myself. I'm letting Jansen go the second I can, take that money, put it somewhere else. Iglesias, his numbers were outstanding. But there was also saying, look, we have a luxury that we can put him in the seventh, put him in the eighth, and keep Jansen in the ninth. But uh, I, I, I kind of boggled my mind how more teams didn't step up to grab Iglesias as well. I didn't even know he was available. Why not grab him? Like, think how much of a luxury it is to have him on your squad. So they got to be laughing right now. I, I agree with you that I think he's a head and shoulders above a lot of these guys. If he got a full year of closing under his belt on that team, he'd be right in the top five, guaranteed. Yeah, I agree with I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think he did a tremendous job in Anaheim, uh, you know, and then I think he pitched well in Atlanta. It's just the opportunity is going to have to present itself. He's under contract. He, you know, signed a four-year deal with the Angels. He was in the first year of his deal, and then they traded him. So the team that got him I wanted to uh, take on that type of contract knowing that he was going to be a future closer if, if, if they needed him or somewhere in the middle or in between, uh, got great value out of that. It's like those articles I was reading, uh, you know, Blue Jays fans excited that potential of Otani trade. There's about 29 other teams that are excited about an Otani trade. Like uh, Otani watches him go to the Braves. He's probably thinking, take me with you because uh, that's going to be a firestorm soon, especially with the team being uh, sold or rumored to be sold. And uh, Otani signing his one-year deal. And just saying now on Japanese media TV that uh, he found the end of the year very unsatisfying. And uh, man, he becomes a free agent. I think every team is lining up with the bank book and blank checks and whatever you want, Shohei, come come over. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you can have a guy like that uh, who's who puts up numbers on both sides, uh, the pitching side and the hitting side, he, he's valuable to, to any team that uh, isn't a market to win. Um, you know, obviously you would probably like to stay out West, uh, maybe the Dodgers, the Yankees, um, you know, those are the two teams that obviously have biggest, uh, bang for the buck with their checkbook and, and could afford him, him no problem. But at the end of the day, what is that number going to look like? You know, there's that song by the Pet Shop Boys, go West, life is peaceful there, go West. And, uh. <laughs> You know, the Padres are just accumulating everybody. And you would think, what would it look like if Tatis was on that lineup as well? But maybe they also acquired Soto knowing that Tatis was likely not going to come back this year. We can play that game all day long. If we're going to talk about the West, we're talking about rumors. The one I'll throw out there, Otani is going to leave and stay out West. I, I, the only team I can see is the Giants. I think they have the money. I think they needed that star power. When they brought Barry Bonds on back in the day and gave him that massive contract, I think they built the team around Otani and whatever he wants. Posey's retired. Let's do it. I just can't see the Padres paying for him. Dodgers, I, I know they have unlimited money, but you know how much of a cap can you go beyond? And I don't know. Sometimes I, 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 I see life in San Francisco for Shohei Otani. So that's my prediction. Or Yankees. I can only see one of those two teams. So we'll see if I'm right or wrong. When we're finishing up with closers, the, uh, the two I wanted to sum up today was uh, close to home for you because you know we got the brew crew going. And Hater for Rodgers. And uh, I don't think Rodgers is going to be back next year. No. I think free agent, and I don't think he's getting signed. Hater will be back. I think he still has one more year on his deal. And 
And at the end of the day, I don't know where Rogers is going to go, but uh, people are, I think are forgetting in the, in that talk that there was a ready-made closer before Hader even left. Oh, absolutely. Devin Williams, right? I mean, yeah. he was, he was the next uh, heir apparent to when Josh was going to leave, you're always grooming him to, to be the closer. He has the stuff, he has the mindset. Uh, and, and he's, very capable of handling that situation. Uh, it's a tough kid from St. Louis, uh, has, an, has an understanding of, of what he needs to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a luxury to have, right, when you can trade the best or one of the best closers and get some guys in return and then fill a guy in and not lose a step in the ninth inning. Uh, where I think they got hurt this past year is they got hurt losing the step in – the bridge getting to the ninth inning uh, once you subtracted out of that bullpen uh, the Josh Hader and added a couple of the guys in there that just didn't just didn't produce to the potential that the first thought they were going to do when the trade was made. I think if if that trade's not made, Hader stays on the team. I think you're actually seeing probably that uh, they they would have come a lot closer if not actually making the playoffs because they were in it all year, but. Next year, I think Williams will be on this list. That's what I'm going to predict. I think definitely top 10 closer at the very least. Can you see that happening very easily? Uh, I'll put him in the top five. Uh, top five. A closer for next year. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're going to have, you know, the, guy, the guys that I would predict next year, and it's, we're so long, we're so far away from, from that, but uh, would be, you know, the hater, the Williams, um, I'm going to say the Inglacius. Um, you know, that's that's just three off the top of my head that I, I can think of that are that you have on your list that I think are going to be where they need to be. I mean, it's just uh, it's just one of those things. I mean, Edwin Diaz, obviously, depending what team he goes to, and I'm sure he's going to pick a team that has an opportunity to go to the playoffs and and win. So I think he'll be high on that list as well. I think Bedner will be around that Soto category, middle of the road, you know, comfortable because again, the kind of team that they're playing on with the less pressure. The last guy you kind of touched upon, and we'll we'll bring him up actually, is on St. Louis, Helsey. And he had a nice end of the year there for them. And uh you think he's got the the wherewithal to be able to stay on for a few years as a top closer? Absolutely. He's got the stuff. Like in you know, he sometimes loses the zone and doesn't throw enough strikes, but he has that wipeout breaking ball. He throws 99 to 103. Um, but even though sometimes you have the stuff, uh, it doesn't work out. But for him, I think it does. There's another guy on that team that they tried in that closing role that it didn't work out for because, again, just doesn't throw enough strikes. Uh, and that's uh, Hicks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he throws 105 sometimes with crazy movement with a two-seamer. But when you're putting guys on base with walks and you give up one hit or here or there, and you've already, uh, you know, put a couple guys on base, that one run lead evaporates very quick. So, um, you know, it's Jordan Hicks is, is who I'm thinking about on, on that. But I, again, getting back to Helsley, I think he's in that uh, conversation of being one of the best uh, during the course of 162 games for sure. I think we'll create our own set of awards, Steve, at the end of every year. Well, we'll have the Wonkim Soria Award, where the guy comes kind of out of nowhere, has his stuff, and puts it together and builds a nice uh, season and career. And then there'll be the John Rocker Award, where they come out fast and they implode. So I think uh, 
two candidates uh, this year for the Joaquin Story Award. And we'll assess that come, I think, closer to November, December. Uh, thank you for sharing your insights. You know, people understand you've been there. You were a starter. Got got to do the closing. Got to be in, in uh, setting in the setup role. You've got to eat and breathe, sleep this stuff. And then after the career was done playing wise, got to coach these guys firsthand and see how they were. And you got to, as you know, the 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 outfits in the back here. You got to. Uh, Enjoy the time in the bullpen with Hader and uh, and Gang and Williams and, you know, talking baseball, talking mentalities. And it's a much different life in the bullpen than on the clubhouse chair, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you get to learn a lot about a guy and who he is and well, how he thinks and, you know, what, what his uh, personality is to be able to pitch in those type of situations. Uh, a personality trait is, is a huge deal for me when you're talking about guys who pitch in the, you know, high leverage situations or the seventh, eighth and ninth inning. Um, there are guys who can do it and there are guys who just don't have the personality to do that. Uh, there's guys who need to be up by four runs or down by four runs to go in and pitch and be successful. Um, uh, you know, if you put them in a one run game, sometimes they just kind of implode because the pressure is a little bit too much for them. So um, you know, having the experience, being able to pick guys' brains, being able to learn who they are, learn their personalities, and, uh, you know, using my experience to see if they are able to handle that situation and pitch uh, at the back end of the games is, is, was a lot of fun to uh, be around and do that. Um, you know, it's part I miss about baseball uh, and being involved in uh, the major league portion of it. But, uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of these guys and, and really get to talk baseball with them and, and see how they're doing. So, um, you know, back in bullpen is not the easiest thing. A lot of people out there say, how hard can it be to pitch one inning? Uh, but sometimes that one inning is a lot more stressful than the first five or six that the starter goes through. When there are 50,000 people in the stadium yelling at you, Watching your every movement, um, it can build a little bit of pressure, I would say. And uh, we miss you tremendously, Fernando Rodney, when you used to trot out of the Tigers' pen. Mm. And you remember a good old Scott Proctor? Scott Proctor, what, what, what a couple of years he had. Uh, he had a rubber arm. I think he pitched like 90 games for them. But I'll always forget, remember about him. He's about to get called into the game. He goes to the side, grabs a Red Bull, downs it. Tosses it and runs right out there. And I, there's just bullpens, closers. You got to be crazy to do that. You got to have personality. Different mentality. Definitely a different mentality. Love it. Love it. Well, Steve, thank you as always sharing your insight on the chosen journey. And by all means, we want the fans to interact. Hit that subscribe button. Ask your questions for Steve. Anything on baseball, life, you know, keep it fairly clean. And you never know, your questions may get answered. So... We love the interaction. Appreciate everybody watching. And we'll see you back soon on The Chosen Journey. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Jonathan. And uh, look forward to next time.